about Wednesday for prayer meeting. Uh, officers, you see your announcement for Saturday, and then uh, I think most of them have been laid out before you before. Ladies' Bible studies coming up on the February 18th, so keep that in mind as well. All right, well, I believe that's all the announcements that I have this morning as we worship our God together. Here's the question I want to ask you, and I'll ask it again toward the end of the service. What is your most valued possession? What is your most valued possession? The Word of God says, what will it profit a man if he gain the whole world and yet lose his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? And so I pray that you'll ask God in these few seconds of quietness that you'll value your soul and that our time together would be a benefit for your soul and your walk with God. Will you just take a few moments to prepare your hearts to that end? Inside your bulletin is the call to worship. It comes from the 113th Psalm. It is a psalm in which we give praise to God. We're reminded that we are to forever give praise to God. We are to praise Him all day long, for He is worthy of our praise. And so I trust this morning our worship service will be marked by that of giving God the praise That is his due. Will you stand with me? Let us call one another to worship with this responsive reading. Praise the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord from this time forth and forever. The Lord is high above all nations. His glory is above the heavens. Who is like our God? With that in mind, take your Trinity hymn books and turn to number 35. 35 in the Trinity hymn book, Immortal, Invisible. 
God only wise. And together, church, let us give praise to a God like no other. Number 35 in the Trinity Hymn Book. Lord, what a privilege it is to be in this place today, to be here to behold your glory. Lord, we pray that you would join us, that you would draw near to us, that you would bless our service today. We pray, Father, that you would forgive us our sins, which are many, that you would cleanse our hearts and prepare our hearts to worship you in spirit and in truth. Lord, we praise you for you are the Lord God Almighty, the triune God. There is none like you. What a, what a great thing it is to have your sins forgiven, past, present, and future. And Lord, we will be coming to the table this afternoon in remembrance of the great price that was paid for our freedom. And so, Lord, we pray that if there is anyone here today that does not know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, that this, that this might be the day. Soften hearts. Uh, make us attentive, Lord, to your word as it is preached. May it go out in power. We pray, Father, that uh, you would continue to bless our lives, bless our families, and, and may we walk in obedience. Jesus said, that if you love me, you will obey my commands. And let us do that. Let us walk in holiness. Let us seek after you, for you are our priority in life. We ask all these things in the precious name of Jesus, our Lord and Savior. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. 
Now take your hymns of grace, the hymns of grace, and turn to 61. Guide me, O thou great Jehovah, pilgrim through this barren land. Number 61 in the hymns of grace. Verses 1 through 27. In this passage, we see our Lord sending out the twelve to preach in verses 1 through 6. In verses 7 through 9, Jesus confounds Herod. In verses 10 through 17, Jesus feeds the multitude. And in verses 18 through 26, Christ predicts his crucifixion. We also see in this passage Peter's confession of faith. We also see Jesus' teaching about the true cost of discipleship. May the Lord bless the reading of his inspired word. Verse 1. And he called the twelve together and gave them power and authority over all the demons to heal diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to perform healing. And he said to them, Take nothing for your journey, neither a staff, nor a bag, nor bread, nor money, and do not even take two tunics apiece. Whatever house you enter, stay there until you leave that city. And as for those who do not receive you, as you go out from that city, shake the dust off your feet as a testimony against them. 
Departing, they began going throughout the villages, preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. Now Herod, the Tetrarch, heard of all that was happening, and he was greatly perplexed, because it was said by some that John had risen from the dead, and by some that Elijah has appeared, and by others that one of the prophets of old had arisen again. Herod said, I myself had John beheaded. But who is this man about whom I hear such things? And he kept trying to see him. When the the apostles returned, they gave an account of him to all that they had done. Taking them with him, he withdrew by himself to a city called Bethsaida. But the crowds were aware of this and followed him, and welcoming them, he began speaking to them about the kingdom of God and curing those who had need of healing. Now the day was ending, and the twelve came and said to him, Send a crowd away that they may go into the surrounding villages and countryside and find lodging and get something to eat, for here we are in a desolate place. But he said to them, You give them something to eat. And they said, We have no more than five loaves and two fish, unless perhaps we go and buy food for all these people. For there were about 5,000 men. And he said to his disciples, Have them sit down to eat in groups of about 50 each. And they did so, and had them all sit down. Then he took the five loaves and the two fish, and looking up to heaven, he blessed them and broke them and kept giving them to the disciples to set before the people. And they all ate and were satisfied. And the broken pieces which he had left over were picked up twelve baskets full. And it happened that while he was praying alone, the disciples went with him, were with him, and he questioned them, saying, Who do the people say that I am? And they answered and said, John the Baptist, and others say, Elijah, but others that one of the prophets of old has risen again. And he said to them, But who do you say I am? And Peter answered and said, the Christ of God. But he warned them and instructed them not to tell this to anyone, saying the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and scribes and be killed and raised up on the third day. And he was saying to them all, If anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever wishes wishes to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake, he is the one who will save it. For what is a man profited if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his glory and the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. But I say to you, truthfully, there are some of those standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God. So we seek our God together again in prayer this morning. We especially want to remember the Yulbergs, Jeremy and his wife Danny, and their labors there in Bolivia. Thankful for the update we received this past Wednesday in a letter 
and to see how God's using them for the good of his kingdom there in that country. So let us seek our God together this morning. Our Father in heaven, as we have heard your word this morning, what comes to our minds is that hymn of old that says, Man of Sorrows, what a name, for the Son of God who came, ruined sinners to, pro- to re- redeem. Hallelujah, what a Savior. How thankful we are this morning for the willingness of your Son to come to this earth and to suffer many things, to be rejected and then to be killed. Father, we're thankful for his willingness to die as a propitiation for our sins. But Father, our hearts are filled with gratitude because death could not hold him. And though he tasted death, yet he conquered death. And he arose from the grave. Father, how thankful we are for that reality. For that is our hope. That is our hope of your acceptance of his work on our behalf. So that now in Christ Jesus, we've been reconciled to a holy God. Now, not because of who we are or anything that we could ever accomplish, but because of what Christ has done in giving his life a ransom for many, we are the redeemed and we've been reconciled. And therefore, may our hearts be filled with thanksgiving and gratitude. And since you've done this work, Father, where there's disobedience, how we pray that you would expose it so that we might be quick to confess and forsake sins. Father, how we pray that we might love this gospel. And our desire may be to see this gospel spread not only here at home but around the world. And we are thankful that though many of us will never be able to travel around the world You've allowed us to be partners with those who are around the world who desire to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. And with that, we thank you for the Yulebergs and and the partnership that we enjoy with them. Father, we're thankful for the work you're doing in hearts and lives. We think especially of the ministry they have among teenagers. Father, how we pray that these young people may truly grow up to be adults that love you and and desire to serve you with with all their hearts. We we pray, Father, that you'll continue to give Jeremy wisdom as how he can best use his time for the advancement of your kingdom there in that place. Watch over this dear family as we thank you for them and continue to use them for your glory and for your honor. Father, we would once again this morning pray for those whom you have placed over us as a nation. We were reminded in the Sunday school hour that as we see all the chaos and all the immorality and all the upheaval of our day, 
It is found because of the total depravity of man. And therefore, Father, we would pray that you would raise up leaders of our nation who would allow the continuing opportunity to share the gospel with others without fear of retaliation. Father, we pray that you would give us leaders who have a fear of God more than they have a fear of man. That you would be pleased to give us leaders who would, who would consider others more important than themselves. So, Father, we pray you would have mercy upon us as a nation, forgive us of our sins, and may you, Father, bring an awakening in our day, in this land, for your glory and for your honor. But may it begin here, and may it begin with how we hear and receive the word of God. May it find lodging in hearts that have been prepared, and therefore bear much fruit for the glory of our God. So hear our cries, as we ask them in your Son's blessed name. Amen. Now before we come to open the word of God, take your hymns of grace once again, turning to 368. 368, speak, O Lord, as we come to you to receive the food of your holy word. 368, hymns of grace. Let's stand together as we sing.
Deuteronomy chapter 24 this morning. Deuteronomy chapter 24. Listen as I read in your hearing the first five verses of this chapter. Deuteronomy 24, starting in verse 1. And when a man takes a wife and marries her, and it happens that she finds no favor in his eyes because he has found some indecency in her, and he writes her a certificate of divorce and puts it in her hand and sends her out from his house. And she leaves his house and goes and becomes another man's wife. And if the latter husband turns against her, and writes a certificate of divorce, and puts it in her hand, and sends her out of his house, or if the latter husband dies who took her to be his wife, then the former husband who sent her away is not allowed to take her again to be his wife, since she has been defiled. For that is an abomination before the Lord, and you shall not bring sin on the land which the Lord your God gives you as an inheritance. And when a man takes a new wife, he shall not go out with the army, nor be in charge of any duty. He shall be free at home one year, and give happiness to his wife whom he has taken. We'll stop our reading there. If I were to ask you the question, what is Moses teaching us in this passage of Scripture, you might immediately say this has to do with marriage, divorce, and remarriage. But I would tell you that this passage of Scripture is not an easy one to interpret. So if you were hoping I was going to preach on husbands, make your wives happy, don't get too excited too early. Because there are four primary interpretations of this passage of Scripture. The first one is says that these things were written in order to make sure that proper documents were provided and proper procedures were followed when it comes to marriage, divorce, and remarriage. The second line of thought says this, these things were written to force a man to think twice about divorce and not to enter into it hastily. The third line of interpretation goes something like this. These things were written to protect the second marriage and to keep the first husband from disrupting the second marriage. And the fourth interpretation is this. 
these things are written to guard our hearts against greed and to make sure that we're doing nothing that would injure our neighbor and his property and that we are preserving and caring for the possessions that God has given to us. Where am I going to come down? I'm convinced that the interpretation of this passage, and stay with me, that the interpretation of this passage is the fourth one. That it is a call for us to guard our hearts against greed and selfishness, and that we are to take steps to not unjustly hinder our own or our neighbor's wealth and outward estate, and that we are to care for those things that, that God has given to us. The reason I say that is for a couple of reasons. Number one, Moses has directed our attention to the Eighth Commandment at the end of chapter 23. Remember last week we, we looked at the fact that Moses instructing them with regard to their possessions that they're to have a heart of compassion, a, a heart of righteousness, a heart of grace, a heart of faithfulness, a heart of generosity. That's what should mark our possessions and what we do with them. So then we come to chapter 24. As Moses said, oh, wait a minute. Let's go back to the seventh commandment, thou shalt not commit adultery, and because I forgot to mention about marriage, divorce, and remarriage. And I tend to think Moses is still continuing on with his thought process about the eighth commandment. Another reason I think that the fourth interpretation is perhaps the best interpretation is you might remember in Matthew chapter 19 the, the Pharisees come to Christ and they come, they want to test him so how do they test him they ask him a question is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife now the Pharisees have in mind this passage of scripture because after Jesus gives his answer, they, they mention the fact, well, wait a minute, doesn't Moses allow for a certificate of divorce? And our Lord says, yeah, he permitted that because of the hardness of your heart. But I want you to think about how Christ first answered their test. Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? What passage does our Lord take the Pharisees too. Does he take them to Deuteronomy 24 and say, hey, let me explain to you about marriage, divorce, and remarriage. What does he do? He takes them to Genesis 2. You want to talk about marriage, divorce, and remarriage? Go to Genesis 2. Remember when marriage was instituted by God? God said, 
that a man shall leave mother and father, they shall cleave to one another, and the two shall become one flesh. And therefore, what, Christ, what God has joined together, let no man put asunder. So Christ says to the Pharisees, who have come up with their own ideas from Deuteronomy 24. The Pharisees came up with three different ideas. Number one, you can only divorce a wife because of immorality. If your wife is guilty of immorality, then you can divorce your wife. And then there were other Pharisees who say, no, 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 it's far better than that. You can divorce your wife when you declare that she has been indecent and anything else. So, so if your wife burnt your toast this morning, you can divorce your wife. Or if she doesn't put the lid back on the toothpaste, you can divorce your wife. For any reason, because it says when she's lost favor in your sight and, and she's been declared indecent, you can give her a certificate of divorce. And they add in, or for whatever reason. And then there was even a, a more liberal idea or thought because they, there would be some that says, you know what? If I just don't find my wife attractive anymore, or if I find another woman who is more attractive, it, it says there in Deuteronomy 24 that, you know, she, she, there, there's no favor found with her anymore, then he can divorce her. So they were, they were now coming to Christ and says, so when is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? Because they had this, their own controversy with regard to when it's proper to do such a thing. And what does Christ say? Here's my answer. Listen, what God joins together, let no man put asunder. God hates divorce. That was his answer. Don't go to Deuteronomy 24. Go to Genesis 2 when it comes to this topic. And so for those reasons, I believe that, that there's more here than just lessons on divorce and remarriage. Remember, they're about ready to go into a country, a land that has been promised to them. It's going to be a wonderful land. They, they will have great possessions. Look back over to Deuteronomy chapter 7. Deuteronomy chapter 7. Verse 12, God, God, Moses sort of reminds the people what God has promised them. And then it shall come about, because you listen to these judgments and keep and do them, that the Lord your God will keep with you His covenant and His, and His loving kindness, which He swore to your forefathers. He will love you and bless you and multiply you. He will also bless the fruit of your womb and the fruit of your ground, your grain and your new wine and your oil, the increase of your herd and the young of your flock in the land which he swore to your forefathers to give you. And you, you shall be a blessed above all people. There will be no male or female barren among you and among your cattle. You, you're going to come in and take this land, and you're going to have a great possession. God's going to give you many good things as you obey Him, 
when you come into the land. A little later on in Deuteronomy 15, Moses is instructing the Israelites. And in the midst of that instruction, he tells them, Since the Lord your God will surely bless you in the land which the Lord your God is giving you, as an inheritance to possess. You're about ready to take a wonderful possession of an inheritance that God is giving you. And then even later on in Deuteronomy 28 and verse 11, again, the promise of God's blessing if you obey. And we read these words, The Lord will grant you plenty of goods in the fruit of your body and an increase in your livestock, and in the produce of the ground of the land in which the Lord swore to your fathers to give you. God is, is going to give you many good things. Remember, He told them, you're going to have houses that you didn't build, cisterns that you didn't d- dig. You're going, to have, you're going to have fruit that you didn't plant. When you enter into this land, the possession of your inheritance will be great. Now, keeping that in mind, when we come to Deuteronomy chapter 20, we have two events. One has to do with a woman who is divorced, remarried. Second husband is either divorces her or he dies. Right? And then we have the event of a man who takes a new wife and he's not to go out to war for at least a year. And so what are we being taught here? And I believe Moses is saying to us, take care of your possessions and do not become greedy and do injury to someone else for your own profit. So what do I mean? Well, let's look at the passage. First of all, there's what I called the inheritance protected. The inheritance protected. Now notice the details explained. Here's a man. He takes a wife. And it's clear that she finds no favor in his eyes. Why? Because... He found some indecency. He finds something indecent. Now, we're not given the details of what that indecency is. We, we can't come to this passage and say, I believe I have a right to divorce my wife because I declare she's indecent. And I make that declaration, and apparently Moses said that's enough for me to give her a certificate of divorce. This woman has been found guilty of some immorality, some type of sin. We're not given the details as to how she has sinned. What she did is not the point of the passage. We are not given the details 
We simply know that she's done something which has broken the marriage bond and therefore is given a certificate of divorce. And the certificate of divorce is the legal, the legal paper that then declares what the woman could take from the home. It would tell her what she was allowed to leave with. Many times the woman would have come into the home with a dowry, some possessions of her own for the household. Is she allowed to leave with them? Or do they stay? And in all likelihood, because of this woman's sin, because of her guilt, if she left with anything, she would leave with very little. Because she's the guilty party. She may very leave, very well leave with nothing. Nothing at all. And so what happens next? She leaves and she remarries. Now notice the second marriage. It's different than the first. Did you notice that? Verse 2, And she leaves his house and goes and becomes another man's wife. And if the latter husband turns against her, and writes her a certificate of divorce and puts it in her hand and sends her out of the house. All right? Here's the second marriage. Some of your translations may read something like this. And the man ends up hating her. He ends up hating her. So he wants her out of the house. The indications are, in the second marriage, this woman is the innocent party. She's not guilty of sin or immorality. She, she's the innocent party. He, he's just decided to get rid of her and to send her out. She, too, would be given a certificate of divorce. That, that legal piece of paper that would tell her what she could leave with. You, you might notice it goes on, or maybe, maybe they didn't get divorced. Maybe her husband dies. But again, she's done nothing wrong. She did nothing wrong that would cause for divorce. She's not nothing wrong which would cause for her husband's death. Her innocence is, expre is expressed in the second scenario. And the certificate of divorce would give her her dowry back, what she brought into the marriage. She gets that. And she gets additional possessions. If the man simply divorces her because he doesn't like her anymore, 
the marriage certificate may very well give her a portion of his land or his possessions, what he has. Or if the woman's husband, second husband dies, she again gets his possessions and his land. That becomes hers. So in the first marriage... Her husband sends her away, but she takes really nothing with her. In the second marriage, she takes more than what she brought in. We might say she has gained. Now, in light of all those events, the only legislation given to us in this passage comes in verse 4. Here's the only law, and it's this. Then her former husband, who sent her away, is not allowed to take her again to be his wife since she has been defiled here's the thought I'll try to make it simple she marries first she commits a grievous sin that would allow her husband to give her a certificate of divorce and she basically leaves with nothing so the man not only gets what he had, but now also gets what she brought in. She goes off and marries another man. And he decides for no reason, she's an innocent party, to divorce her. Or he dies. And she gets now what she brought into the marriage, plus other things because she's the innocent one and here's the law then the first husband cannot marry her again because he's already declared her to be defiled so what is that saying it's saying here's the first husband who looks over and sees his first wife and he says she's got a good piece of property now <laughs> and you know that that husband of hers left her a lot of money. And all of a sudden he goes and courts her. Hello, beautiful. I've missed you so much. I, I want you back into my life. But it's only for the motive of gaining profit. in an unrighteous manner which God says is a violation of the Eighth Commandment. Thou shalt not steal. So what's the significance of all this? Why is there such 
a law like this? Well, I say to you, I don't believe it's to teach us about marriage and divorce and remarriage. If it was, then why didn't Christ use it in Matthew 19? Notice what the end of verse 4 says. You shall not bring sin on the land which the Lord your God gives you as an inheritance. God's given you these possessions. Be wise with them. Do not injure others for your own benefit. Don't be deceitful in your actions. Don't say one thing. This woman I declare to be indecent. She's committed an immoral act. And then later on come along and say, well, you know, it really wasn't that bad. It's okay. And you do it for simply your own profit. Thou shalt not steal. He's not to take her again as his wife because he's already declared her to be defiled. She was defiled. And now he believes that for his own financial gain, I'll take her back. And the Bible says that's an abomination. When you, when you use things and your motivation is your own selfish personal gain and greed, that's an abomination you're bringing. And you're not using the inheritance as you ought. God finds it abominable when people manipulate facts for their own advantage. When people take, take advantage of the vulnerable or the weak for their own profit. I think of our day and age. How many times do you watch a commercial and there's somebody on TV saying, listen, you're in debt, you're over your head, and there's a husband and wife sitting there and they're looking at all their bills all piled up and they're like, what are we going to do? Well, call so-and-so and and we'll get you out of debt. What they don't tell you is they're going to make like 24, 25% interest on the money they lend you but we're going to keep that a secret. You go to buy a used car. I don't think we got any used car salesmen here, do we? You go to buy a used car and the guy comes out and he says, you know, some little old lady only drove this every Sunday to church and back. It's, it's fine. You find out that somebody's messed with the odometer and pushed it back and for their own gain and for their own benefit. God is saying, I, I give you things. Be wise stewards. Take care of them. See that they're used wisely. So there's the inheritance and we'll spend less time on the second one if you're beginning to wonder. But... but there's the inheritance protected. But then we come to verse 5, and I won't spend a great deal of time on this one. It's, it's the inheritance preserved. The her- 
inheritance preserved. Again, the details are explained there in verse 5. When you read verse 5, did that sound familiar? If you want to make me happy, go like this. Okay. Because we've had the same law given to us back in Deuteronomy 25 through 8 when we talked about thou shalt not murder. So why is Moses mentioning it again when he's talking about thou shalt not steal? What's the significance of that? What's that about? Well, here's a man who just gets married. He's a newlywed. And, And the law was you're not to go out with the army or be in charge of any duty for a full year. But in fact, you're to make your wife happy. You're to see her happy. Now when when Moses says, you're to make your wife happy, he's not talking about, you know, going off to the bookstore and buying a, a, a book of jokes and then sitting down with her every night and saying, knock, knock. <laughs> and she looks at, who's there? And you come up with something clever. And she laughs. And you say, oh, man, I did it. She smiled. But what we have here is speaking about the physical, intimate relationship between a husband and a wife. Remember in Proverbs 5, where the man is told to rejoice in the wife of your youth? And as you read down through that passage, it's, it's not that they, again, you're to tell jokes to one another or, you know, it, it talks about the intimacy that exists between a husband and a wife. Remember in Genesis 26, when Abimelech saw Rebekah and wanted her, and, and he asked Isaac about her, and Isaac says, she's, she's my sister. Remember that? And in that text there, in verse 8, we read that Abimelech one day looked out the window and saw Isaac caressing his wife Rebekah. Some of your translations may read it this way. He saw, he saw Isaac laughing, that's how some translate it, laughing with Rebekah. What does that mean? Did Isaac get that joke book and told her a joke? And he looked down and said, look at those two laughing. No, there was something going on between them that made it obvious that Isaac was not her brother. Whatever activity they're engaged in, it was obvious to Abimelech that there was intimacy between the two of them. And so that's why we read in some, I mean, some trans, they were laughing together. I, I love that translation. I don't, because Abimelech then goes to Isaac and says, wait a minute. You told me she was your sister. 
But what I saw with my own eyes indicates she's more than your sister. Of course, Isaac says, well, yeah, I was afraid for my life, and so I said that and so forth. She's my wife. She's my wife. And so when we think about that and we come to 24 and verse 5 of Deuteronomy, when a man takes a new wife and he goes out, he is not to go out with the army nor be charged with any duty. He shall be free at home for one year and shall give happiness to his wife whom he has taken. Whom he has taken. The significance of this is that during this one year in which this man does not go out to war, it would give them sufficient opportunities to see that an heir would be born before he goes out to war and perhaps be killed. And if he's killed in war, he would leave an heir his possessions so that the family would continue to own that property and those possessions and care for those things that God has given them. And so you see, when we come to Deuteronomy 24, while we might get a few snippets about marriage and divorce and remarriage, that's not the focus of this text. The focus of this text is this inheritance that, that the Lord is providing you. And see that you care for it. And see that you don't injure someone else in order to line your own pockets. That's an abomination in the sight of God. And, and we might say, wow, why, why does God go through all this? Because He wanted a people to be a holy people. And do what is right when they enter into the promised land. So does this text say we can divorce and remarry? No, you want to know about divorce and remarry? Go to Genesis 2. What God joins together, let no man put asunder. But here, it's, it's a reminder that if we don't care and protect and keep ourselves from greed and unrighteous profit, we're going to violate the Eighth Commandment. Thou shalt not steal. That's the reason I put it in your bulletin. What's the requirement of the Eighth Commandment? The Eighth Commandment requires the lawful procuring and furthering the wealth and outward estate of ourselves and others. That's the point Moses is making. What is forbidden in the Eighth Commandment? The Eighth Commandment forbids whatever doth or may unjustly hinder our own or our neighbor's wealth and outward estate. Take care 
of the inheritance which the Lord is giving you. And so now, what can I say to each one of us? Do you remember the question I asked at the very beginning of this service? Ah, Who remembers? What's your greatest possession? What's your greatest inheritance? In the preparation of the heart and in the Scripture readings this morning, the question is asked, what will it profit you if you gain the whole world and yet lose your own soul? What will it profit you, my friend, if you have hundreds of thousands of dollars in the bank so that in a time of uncertainty, even that we live in now, you can say, I'm secure. And there's nothing wrong with having money in the bank and there's nothing wrong with being financially secure. But is that your greatest achievement? You have a nice house. You have cars. You're able to go out and eat whatever you want, wherever you want. You're living the American dream. Who gave you the ability to do that? Isn't it God? And therefore, what's the driving force? What's your motivation for all these things? Is it because I want it? It's mine. It's mine. It's mine. Or is it I want to use it to the glory of God? Something we need to ask with regard to those things that we have. Because if you have everything this world could offer you, and there's nothing that you have need of today, but you die tomorrow, what good has it done you? Every good gift does come from God. And most of us would have to confess He's been far better to us than we ever deserved. I imagine most of us here this morning are not worried about are we going to have food on the table tomorrow? God has provided that. Here's a question. How is your life marked with regard to the inheritance that you're yet to receive? In other words, some of us may have gained inheritance from family members or whatever the case might be. 
and that's well and good. But isn't there a, a greater inheritance that's still before us? <laughs> I mean, the people of Israel, they, they have this inheritance. It's going to be this land. It's going to be flowing with milk and honey. They're going to have houses they didn't build, and they're going to have cisterns they didn't dig, and, and they're going to enjoy the fruit that they didn't plant, and they're going to eat and be satisfied. It, it's a wonderful promise. There will be no one barren if you obey me and, and keep my commandments. Get into the land. And, 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 and they were looking for that city. They were looking to get into that city. My friends, we've got even a greater inheritance. A greater inheritance. No more sin, no more disappointment, no more death. Do you live in light of that? And so I pray that this morning, whatever you may own, Whatever you may possess, whatever property is yours, I, I have no evil to say about having those things unless they have become your God. Unless your life is motivated simply around them and how you can gratify your own self with the participation of those things and give no thought to how can I glorify God in using these things. But my friend, if you gain the whole world and lose your own soul, I say it, I trust kindly, but you're a loser. You're a loser. What do you mean I'm a loser? Look at all I got. You're, you're a loser, my friend, if you die without Christ. He's your only hope. Well, if you want to meet me at the back door and say, well, Pastor, I still think it has to do with divorce and remarriage and marriage and so forth, I'm not going to argue with you. There, there. Listen, you can go to Sermon Audio and hear sermon after sermon about divorce and remarriage. You can hear Mother's Day messages on making your wife happy. All right. But I trust in trying to really honestly open up this text and this passage. There's more here. And it has to do with the inheritance that is ours in knowing God. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, again, we, we thank you for the, your word and the direction that we receive from that word. And Father, how we pray this morning, each one of us may honestly assess our own lives. What is it that motivates us? What is it that, that we're passionate about? Is it simply getting this world and this world's goods? Or can we say with the Apostle Paul, for me to live is Christ. And may that truly be our desire. Perhaps there are some who sit among us this morning and, and the truth of the matter is that they are seeking to gain all they can in this world. Perhaps in young people who think, I just want to get older and live it up and, and have many things and possess many things and yet... Yet they, they're not taking care of their own souls. Father, how we pray this morning they would be awakened to the reality if they gain everything they could gain in this world and lose their own souls. They've gained nothing. So do a work by Your Spirit that only You can do in hearts and lives. And may You receive all the glory and the honor as we ask these things in Your Son's name.
Amen. Please take your hymns of grace. I know there's not a red X up there, but we ran out of red X's. Hymns of grace and turn to 407. It is well, it is well with my soul. 407. Let's stand together as we sing.
you're welcome to stay for lunch, and then we'll gather together, especially around the Lord's table. Look forward to Mike's meditation and bringing us to that table this afternoon. You are dismissed. Thank you.